Hi, this is Ron Darling. Uh, this is Skip Lockwood. Hi, I'm Ron Swoboda of the 69 New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. Hope you all had a good uh, couple of weeks and enjoyed uh, offerings from uh, last week or two weeks ago, I guess it was. Two episodes were released, so I took a little break. But uh, we're back this week and I got a great guest for you. Uh, David Krell, he's the author of a a new book called uh, New York Mets in Popular Culture critical essays and he'll be on in just a few minutes but uh i thought i'd uh find out how everybody are you enjoying the playoffs the mets didn't make the playoffs i know 16 team format and they couldn't even make that but wait till next year but anyway are you enjoying the format of the playoffs as they have it a lot of people say there's too many teams I think there is, but I have to say uh, that I'm enjoying it, and I think what I'm enjoying most about it is the playing every day. I think where it drags on and gets boring is when the uh, the teams take days off and they got travel day, all of that. This, this playing every day is really nice, uh, constant baseball. Uh, and you're getting through these division championships and, and uh, the wild card. You're getting through these things quick. So uh, we shall see. Uh, we're almost through to the championship series. One more game, the final game between the Rays and the Yankees this evening as I record this. Uh, the Braves and the Dodgers will face off in the National League Championship Series. And the Astros, and yet to be determined, Rays or Yankees in the uh, American League Championship Series. And one sad note as I record this, uh, the news came across the wire that ex-Yankee great Whitey Ford has passed away today at the age of 92. Uh, So uh, uh, sorry to see another uh, all-timer. Uh, leave us, uh, but uh, this has been a rough year for them. Uh, Brock, K-Line, Gibson, Seaver, of course, and uh, Whitey Ford now, and I'm sorry if I missed somebody, but uh, I'm sure somebody will correct me. All right, so uh, not a lot of Mets news to report, so let's go right to our interview with David Krell. Joining me this week is an author of a terrific new book, and uh, he uh, is David Krell, and it's the New York Mets in Pop Culture, or Popular Culture. It's a selection of essays that David's put together. He's even written a couple himself, and uh, pleased to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on, David. I'm pleased to be here, Gary. 
Uh, David, this is a, a different kind of book. You've you've done other books in this, uh, I guess, genre you'd call it, uh, a Yankee book, and I believe a Dodger book. Right. Uh, um, why a Mets book at this time? Well, when I talked to McFarland at the end of the Yankees book, I said to my editor, what should we do next? And she had mentioned a Cubs book, a Red Sox book. And I said, well, I can't do a Yankees book and not do a Mets book immediately after. That has to be the first one. Right. So I put the word out. I recruited a couple of people myself. And we just got this amazing diversity of topics. When you do a Yankees book or a Yankees anthology, like the one that I did, you know that the topics are going to be Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Reggie Jackson, Babe Ruth, Yankee Stadium, and so on. And there are different takes to those topics. But with the Mets book, we have the Mets and hip hop. We have the Mets and the TV show, The West Wing. We have Joan Payson's philanthropy, Dave Kingman's icon status that remains 40 years later. So this will surprise even the diehard fan of the Mets. <laughs> and uh, as you say, you cover all of these subjects in the book. And uh, you even got one of, we were talking before about one of my favorite subjects, Mrs. Joan Payson, who right. I think is one of probably the most underrated people. Um, I don't know if you want to see in the history of baseball, but at least in the history of New York baseball. I would absolutely say in baseball altogether. I think without Joan Payson, the founding of the Mets becomes a little rockier. I don't think you can find anyone who was more passionate about the Mets during that time. She sacrificed her interest in the Giants when the Giants left for New for San Francisco because she wanted them to remain in New York. So she sold off her interest. And when she became the owner of the Mets, there was a great love. Here's a woman who is unbelievably wealthy. Her, she's part of the Whitney family. So her family is part of New York society. And yet she goes down to the ball game and loves it, not because she has to go, but because she wants to go. And Leslie Heafy, who's a prominent Sabre member, did that article or that essay rather about Mrs. Payson's unbelievable philanthropy, not just in art in New York, but also in hospitals. And uh, like you say, she was uh, some woman and uh, really from birth, she was very well, uh, uh, you know, had uh, a lot of money growing up in in New York society. And yet she seemed to be... uh, uh, in touch with with everyone, she didn't come off as a, a hoity-toity uh, woman. I can remember her sitting in. She didn't have an owner's box, or she may have, but she never sat in it. She always sat next to the dugout at, at Shea Stadium, and right. at, at first at the Polo Grounds, and and I can remember seeing it there. Uh, you know. Almost every game, actually, you know, she's got business dealings and she she loved to travel, as you say. And and uh, you write a lot or it's written a lot in the article about the uh, her art and uh, her uh, uh, benefits to the art world and, and what she's done for that. Uh, but she was really quite, and you know, and you there's in the book. There's a brief enough history, really, to whet your appetite to find out more about her. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, 
just an amazing lady. Now, are all these essays, are these all new essays? Were some taken from uh, past publications and reprinted? How did, how did you approach that? No, every essay is new. So you might see the same people doing essays or presentations like the ones in the book. For example, Charlie Vassilaro, who's a, a buddy of mine, he wrote the essay on Kingman. I had first met Charlie at the Hofstra conference in 2012, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Mets. And he gave a wonderful presentation on Dave Kingman, who was my favorite player growing up. Mm -hmm. So when I got the idea for this book, I immediately called Charlie and I asked if he would do an essay on Kingman any way he wants. And he came back and said, what if we talk about his status as a hero to Mets fans? And I was surprised myself to go to baseball reference and find out he didn't play as long in New York as I thought. And yet he has that resonance for those of us who grew up in the late seventies, early eighties as this massive force. And my argument for Kingman being in the hall of fame, had he played on world series contenders, had he had a couple of world series rings on his fingers, he might very well be even beyond borderline. And now with a 236 average, it's probably never going to happen. But 442 home runs is nothing to be dismissed. And on, on better teams, he may have even hit more home runs, we don't know, or in a smaller ballpark. If he played in some of these ballparks they have today, he probably would have hit well over 500, uh, you know, these launching pads they got in Cincinnati and right. uh, uh, other places. But, uh, yeah, Kingman was uh, uh, an iconic figure to New York fans. And it's funny that you mention that about seeing the guys, you know, you realize he didn't play that long here. But I think it's because of his stature uh, and uh, – the, the two uh, tours of duty he had, it really cemented him as a, as a big-time fan favorite. Right. And we have a lot of that that goes on in baseball. There's a lot of ball players that, that are not big stars but may have big moments or are stars for a local team. And then when you look at their career, it's so-so, but you remember them as uh, – uh, a big star uh, like a Be Benny Angbayani or uh, you know some some other guy George Theodore is always one that uh, wouldn't say he's he's a big star here either but he was a uh, he's something he's someone that's name pops up when you think of Met players of old and and uh, Marv Thronberry and things like that. Um, now you wrote uh, I believe the essay on hip hop would you like to, that was interesting uh, that, that was by a professor named Jermaine King down in okay. Johnson C Smith University in North Carolina and when Jermaine first proposed this idea I said what about the Yankees in hip hop and he said well why do you say that and the only thing I could think of was Jay-Z because Jay-Z is almost always wearing a Yankees hat, or at least that's how I think of him. And he said, well, David, I'm going to show how the Mets have as strong a link, if not stronger than the Yankees. Queens has as strong a link, if not stronger to hip hop than the Bronx. And he did this amazing job in condensing the history 
and the genesis of hip hop and then tying it into Queens and the Mets. And the uh, quite intriguing about the, the connection, as you say, and I don't want to give away a lot because I want people to buy the book and read it, but uh, he goes into everything about uh, the, the connections there. And uh, it's something that you don't really realize until you get into a book like this, that uh, the history, the Mets have a lot of history and, and it's, it's almost seemed to be, to have been ignored uh, by the current ownership, and and uh, and I don't know why they did that. Well, I I have these conversations all the time with Mets fans. I don't know why there aren't any Mets photos in the rotunda. I don't know why there's not an old timers game like there used to be. Mm-hmm. But hopefully the new ownership will take that into consideration. We have almost 60 years, Gary, 60 years of history. And people like John Matlack and Mike Piazza and certainly Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, the 69 Mets, the 73 Mets, the 86 Mets, they deserve to be honored in some way. And I have always said from the time that City Field opened to baseball fans, to friends of mine, there should be a statue of Payson. Stengel, Shea, and Seaver. I don't know why <laughs> I've done that. I really don't. I mean, these are the people who really built the Mets franchise. And and you know, uh, we're going to get the Seaver statue supposedly, uh, but I don't think there's much. We have, uh, I think, uh, there's a Stengel entrance at City Field, and there's a Seaver entrance, but and a Hodges, um, right? But I don't recall if there's, you know, there's not a lot for Joan Payson again. Somebody told me when City Field opened, I hadn't been there yet. Somebody who had gone told me that if you took somebody who didn't know where he or she was and didn't know the ballpark, if you put them into that rotunda, they would think they're at Dodger Stadium because of the honoring of National League Baseball in the 50s, which deserves to be honored. And Jackie deserves to be honored with a tribute, naming the rotunda after him. But there are other ways to do it without the overwhelming presence of National League Baseball. Like I said, since 1962, plenty of big moments. Tom Seaver has three Cy Youngs. John Matlack won Rookie of the Year. Those 1980s teams, Strawberry and Gooden. We have so much history ourselves. We should be honoring that. And I I hope the current ownership uh, recognizes that. By current, I mean the Steve Cohen, who yeah. it looks like will get uh, will will get the approval that he needs. And in the book, you also talk about uh, some interesting things that that had gone on in uh, the sporting world and uh, specifically the advent of sports phone, which was really the uh, precursor to all the sports radio and and things like that. So uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, sports phone was such a presence in the New York area, certainly in the 70s and 80s. And when I think about the pop culture of that time period. And I think about the TV commercials. I talk about this towards the end of the essay. It was just all over the place. The same way there were ads for Mount Airy Lodge and the Nevely Hotel 
and the Broadway show Evita. They were just ubiquitous. Every time you turn on the TV, you were nearly guaranteed to see a commercial for one of these things, Joe DiMaggio with Mr. Coffee and the Bowery. So I felt it incumbent upon myself to write that essay, but also tie it into the Mets. So I picked some games at random, as you know, from reading the essay, and some of them were very important games, and some of them were just highlight games. And I, I wanted that mix. I didn't want everything to be a World Series game or a playoff game or Tom Seaver winning his 20th or anything like that. So I, I pretty much made it half and half and then sprinkled in a couple of news stories like George Foster signing. And I remember that when he signed, that was a big story. When Keith Hernandez signed, big story. So we have some of those recounts in there as well. And the uh, sports phone really gave... Uh... Uh, as you said, was the precursor of sports radio, but also gave us a lot of uh, the personalities that that we see on uh, yeah. either sports radio or calling game. I think Howie Rose got his start there, and and I believe Dom LaGreca got his start there. Michael Bob Papa, uh, Bob Papa, yeah. So it was really uh, an important society thing uh, if you will or at least the sports society uh, uh, part uh, advertisement too you also cover advertisement in the uh, early part of Mets history with the uh, Rheingold and and again I don't think people really realize the importance that these that the connection between the Mets and Rheingold really had it was they were selling a product, not only the beer, but they were selling a team that really wasn't very good. Uh, all they really had was uh, a lot of old Brooklyn Dodgers and, and uh, New York Giants, or in more Brooklyn Dodgers than anything else, and uh, and Casey Stengel. And Casey was everywhere. If you go back and see, I, I was looking for I couldn't put my hands on it. I have somewhere, I have a 62-year book and uh, a, a program from the Bowl Grounds from 1962, and I just couldn't find it. I don't know where I put it, uh, but um, the ads in that, the famous ads of uh, uh, Casey uh, showing Miss Wrangle how to bunt Right, and then uh, the two faces, the mugging uh, faces of Casey and Miss Wrangle, and it was a big thing. Like you said, with the ads, the Mount Airy ads were all over at that time. But also, you saw the in the '62, you saw you go in the subway, you had Miss Wrangle. Uh, they had a contest, a beauty contest, and and Homer the dog. And right. talk a little bit about that. Well, Deborah Schmidt-Bach is a curator at the New York Historical Society. And when I found out that she had curated an exhibit that had featured Rheingold, I immediately called her and I explained what I'm doing. I explained the, the basic premise of the book. And I said, look, you don't have to be a baseball fan even. I just want the advertising history. I want the story of Rheingold because most people don't know it. I don't know it. And it ought to be discussed. So she just did a masterful job in going into the details of not only the genesis of the Miss Rheingold contests and the 62 marketing plan that you 
alluded to, but also the development of the Liebman Brewery and the Liebman family, which was responsible for Rheingold. So those of us of a certain age remember Schaefer beer in the 70s, but Rheingold really kicked it off. And Schaefer and Rheingold were competing for that, for that bid. They really wanted that... Um, they really wanted that sponsorship, but Rheingold prevailed and people who were around during that time will tell you exactly what you just said. The, the Rheingold advertisements were all over the place. They really had to push the promotion of this team. It was a lot of cast-offs, veterans who were near the ends of their careers. There were a lot of people, as you know, Gary, who only played in 62 in the major leagues. They might have been journeymen in the in the minor leagues, but 62 was their only major league season. And yet, people loved the Mets. Why? A big reason that nobody talks about is because the National League stars were going to come back. So all of those people, like Sandy Koufax and Don, Don Drysdale and Willie Mays, they were coming back on road trips to play at the Poly. And... How exciting is it for people who once rooted for those guys to see them back in action again, especially people like Mays who called the Polo Grounds home for mm. 10 or 11 years? Yeah, I, I don't About think seven years, seven years. I, I don't think people realized that uh, or realize that when they came in, it was the Polo Grounds would sell out. Right. And you, it was difficult. I mean, we were fortunate. My dad took us, my brother and I, uh, took us. We saw uh, a doubleheader. It was, uh, I forget what day it was now. I think it was in May. may have been a, a, a Memorial Day doubleheader. But we went to see the Dodgers were in town. And it, they seemed to, to try to schedule the Dodgers or the Giants on holidays, uh, you know, because in the, in the old days, uh, when I was young, 100 years ago, you'd have, uh, you know, regular West Coast trips, and they'd be usually in May and then towards the end of August, maybe in September. They don't do that now. Now it's all different. Um, but they would come in and it would be a madhouse. As you say, all the old Brooklyn Dodger fans would want to go see the new Dodger fans because they wanted to see, uh, you know, Snyder. And uh, well, by that time, I guess he was gone, but uh, he was with the Giants. Mm -hmm. But those are the guys that they wanted to see. And uh, Willie Mays, of course, when the Giants came in and it was just a different atmosphere when you know you went to a Pirates game or a Cubs game, right? Um, then when the Dodgers or the Giants came in, and and it was more of a, of a Dodger Giants crowd rooting against the Mets, even because they just wanted to see those guys. But I, I don't think people realize that we don't study enough history nowadays. I don't think on any level, either American history or or. Uh, baseball history, and I think people should study more history of the game and of their team because it's just so fascinating. Well, that's one of the reasons I did the book, Gary, and 
you're so spot on because I, I try to get more people involved in baseball research, more people involved in the Society for American Baseball Research. I'm the chair of the Northern New Jersey chapter. And you don't need to be a diehard fan. We need more people to show different aspects. So, for example, I was at a Sabre symposium a few years ago mm-hmm. where there was a professor from the Midwest talking about the advent of the telegraph and how that changed sports reporting. You could get the scores, if not the day after, maybe the second day. You didn't have to wait a week for the reports. He was not particularly interested in baseball, but he had this niche where he explored the the inventions of the the 1800s. And he just so happened to stumble upon sports and say, well, I'm going to marry my knowledge of technology to the development of sports reporting. And that's what we need. We need more diversity in terms of the approaches. So that's a big reason why Jermaine is in there, why Joan Payson's philanthropy is in there, why Sports Phone is in there, because these touch different areas of baseball. And you don't need to have every article about the World Series or the Let's Go Mets video of the 1980s or the odd couple triple play, which is in there. You know, you, you can't do a Mets book like this and not have that odd couple scene. Right. But you don't need the entire book to be Mets in movies and television. We have a couple of essays about that. Right. But I want it to be more expansive so that there's a surprise on every page. And, and, and I think you've been successful in that. There is a lot of history in there. Uh, very interesting, the articles or the essays. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's got everything. It's got Mrs. Payson. It's got about uh, uh, the growth of the pitching staff through the uh, 60s, 70s, and the 80s. It's got about sports phone. It's got about hip-hop and the Mets, which is, uh, I, I think, the younger people may be especially interested in that to, to see the connection. Uh, uh, though what bugs me about that is how we've uh, – <laughs> How we've taken the uniform hats and and changed the colors and it's just uh, that's just marketing. That's just I know. (laughs) That's to increase the bottom line, and that's fine. I I have no problem with that. But I would like to see old timers' day. I would like to see multiple generations in the stands when we can get back to a society where we can go to games again. I would like people to point out what who Daryl Strawberry was who Dwight Gooden was. Right. And there are people today who have kids who are 9, 10, 11 years old. I meet them at the Sabre conferences. Their kids don't know the players from the 80s. They don't know who George Brett was. They barely know who Tom Seaver was if they're Mets fans. That's not good for the future of the sport. That's right. Because this is a sport that relies on tradition, lore, myth, history, first-person experiences, if we don't pass that down, what will the sport look like in 20 years? That's, that's an excellent point. And, uh, you know, and it all falls into Cooperstown and everything. I mean, you know, they're going to think these guys were 100 years old. That, uh, right. For instance, when I was a kid, you know, John McGraw it seemed like he was so long before my time. But right. really... 
Uh, if you think about it now, I was born in 1953, so when he was playing 1903, it was only 50 years. And right. look back now, that's the time of Shamsky as a Met fan, Shamsky and Crane Poole and, and Seaver and Kuzman. Exactly. So it, it, it's not really that long ago. But uh, as you say, we, we, we need to bring back this uh the uh, old time is dad like to see him bring back banner day that was always a fun right. fun thing and Absolutely. you know but do it the way they did it do it between it to have a scheduled double header i'd like to see scheduled double headers come back though i don't want to do that because of the bottom line yeah and, exactly and if they did double headers throughout the year we wouldn't have the world series in november and it's absolutely astonishing to see players warming their hands in the dugout before they go to bat. The, the fall classic used to be over by mid-October. Yeah. If it went to October 20th, that was late. But one of the things, you hit on something that I want to mention. One of the things that I really enjoyed about this book is the essays put history in context. So, for example, Paul Hensler's essay about the 1986 Mets. There's a lot of pop culture there, but I had a conversation with Paul and I said, well, I'm a pop culture guy, so I'm going to tell you what I think of when I think of the 86 Mets. I think of the 80s. When I think of the 80s, I think of a swagger, a brashness, and his essay started as a dissection of the swagger personality of the, of the team. And I said, well, you can go further. Look at what was going on in the 80s. Look at Michael Douglas winning the Oscar for playing Gordon Gecko right, in Wall Street. Right. What were the top dramas during the 80s? Dallas and Dynasty. Joan Collins and Linda Evans. J.R. Ewing. Who shot J.R.? That was a huge TV story. Larry Hagman went from a bumbling astronaut on I Dream of Genie to playing the most evil, manipulative villain you loved to hate. You think about the movie Ghostbusters and how smarmy Bill Murray's character was. And it goes on and on and on. So the 80s were a time of brashness that the 86 Mets fit into. And they became a team you loved to hate. Mm -hmm. It was funny to see other teams and other teams' fans really have this bad taste in their mouth against the Mets. It's because no one expected them to win. They were bad for so long. Six, seven years, and then they get Strawberry, and then they get Gooden. He wins the, the uh, Rookie of the Year in 84. And all of a sudden, they're emerging as a presence. Well, nobody likes success. That's why the Yankees have such enmity. Uh, they've, they've generated such enmity across baseball because they, they're the most successful franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and as you say, people don't like success, but uh, hopefully your book will be a big success. I hope so. And <laughs> but it was not a solo effort. I really had a great team of contributors. They went into such great detail that it was a pleasure to read, to offer editorial suggestions, to fact check. And I learned something in each and every essay. And I, I don't think that you're going to find too many articles. Maybe you'll find a Sabre presentation here and there. But things like Shea Stadium's rock concerts, that was terribly important to have here. Terribly important. The 19th century Mets, 
by Bill Lamb, the Casey Stengel marketing approach uh, that Bill Reisick talks about. These were all so important to create this context for our favorite team. And one, one last thing, Donna Halper wrote about Bob Murphy. And I said, well, how are you going to do this? He said, well, I want to talk about his career before the Mets. And my response was, he had a career before the Mets? I didn't know that. And when I asked my fellow Mets fans, they didn't know either. So she went into his career in Baltimore and Boston Mm -hmm. and listed his achievements and, you know, going to be an Orioles broadcaster, Red Sox broadcaster. And that was really important to flesh out the, the biography of Murphy and in some way, the biography of the Mets. And, and what was interesting about that too, was, uh, I don't think today we're we're more knowledgeable of announcers. I don't think we knew as much about announcers from other teams. Yeah. You know, very in those days, uh, it, it wasn't as big. Now, with the advent, I guess the MLB network and 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 uh, social media and and just the internet in general, you can get so many games, these packages on television and whatnot, right. that you do hear these other people that you get familiar with. Other, I mean, we knew the big names because they did the games of the week later on you know uh in later in the 60s that's kurt gowdy but you know a lot of people don't know kurt gowdy ever worked with boston and worked with bob murphy in boston uh and and encouraged him to go to baltimore in fact and and um we don't vince scully again we got to know him as the the from the game of the week and he was the Dodgers announcer, right? Uh, you know, and uh, as time went by, of course, the years with the Dodgers. But um, uh, it, it is a—it's a fascinating book. It's—it's a—it's a different type of a look into uh, the history of the Mets, and I, I think that's what makes it interesting because it, it, it's not a run-of-the-mill history. It's yeah. different aspects of, of the uh, uh, the Mets and of the times, really. Mm-hmm. And exactly. all woven into this uh, 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 completed book. And uh, Any that thoughts was- on this season at all? Well, one, one thing I just want to follow up on, that was my mandate, to have the authors put the Mets in context, to put their topics in context. So if you're talking about Shea Stadium's rock concerts, you have to mention the Beatles. And don't just tell me it was the Beatles and then everyone else. What was the context? Why the Beatles in Shea Stadium? Why not Yankee Stadium? Why not Dodger Stadium? What was it about Shea that made people want to go? Like Sting, like the Rolling Stones. And I offered up something that I had known from a previous uh, unrelated article that I had done about Batman. Batman was a huge success in 1966. They had a Batman concert featuring Adam West and Frank Gorshin in June of 66. So it wasn't just rock and roll groups. It was used for other purposes as well. I think that this this season is that was that your question? This yeah, it's just what was your thoughts on this the uh, playing it all this season and and uh, as we go forward with the game? Well, it's difficult. It's difficult to watch. There are no fans in the stands. It's 
difficult to consider a 60-game season a real season. And by July, we're already revved up since February to go into July and all of a sudden, after a week or two of spring training or what their version of spring training would be, to now get revved up, especially during this chaos that we're living in, Mm -hmm. was incredibly challenging. But I think brighter days are on the horizon for the blue and orange. I hope that Mr. Cohen gets approval from the owners to buy the team. It looks like that will happen, but you never know. And maybe 2021 will be a much brighter year for America and for the sport and for the Mets. And we neglected to, to, uh, to say, or I neglected to say that you've written other books as well, uh, on the Dodges and, and on other subjects. And, uh, you know, I apologize for that, but if you'd like to uh, talk about any of those or push any of them, go right sure. ahead. Well, two contributors really influenced me greatly in this area of pop culture research. Unfortunately, they both passed during the production of the Mets book, Rich Piorek and Rob Edelman. So I've been very inspired by their work. So when I did the Yankees in popular culture, I wanted to do it myself. And then after about a week, I went to McFarland. I called up my editor and I said, I don't think it's a good idea that I do it myself. Let's get people from other disciplines. And she said, well, why don't you just make it an anthology instead of interviewing people? Have people contribute full-fledged essays and you can be the editor and you can contribute one. If you want, you could do two. But that's the limit for an editor. And I said, okay, so my essay was on Seinfeld because I'm a big fan of the show. Mm-hmm. And I called the essay of Calzones and Costanza, hearkening back to that episode where George has to run around to Paisano's to get Steinbrenner the Calzone. And lots of other Yankee-related episodes are, are mentioned in there. But I, it started with the Our Bums book about the Brooklyn Dodgers. I had one chapter in there about pop culture. Because when I started to do that book, I had to look around and see what was already done because I didn't want to repeat myself. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, there are two things that haven't been done. Fan interviews, at least since the 80s, Peter Golenbach had a compilation called Bumps. But that was the only one since the 80s. And pop culture, no one had talked about the Brooklyn Dodgers and their presence in a Red Skelton movie or in McHale's Navy, where Carl Ballantyne mentioned Ebbets Field. You knew that he was from Brooklyn. Nobody had mentioned the Jackie Robinson song, or at least not in great detail, or the uh, Soul of the Game, or the Jackie Robinson story. So I had great fun going to the Library of Congress in D.C., spending three days looking at Jackie Robinson's papers, Branch Rickey's papers, going to the Hall of Fame, researching the 55 Dodgers, researching Johnny Padres. You know, people hear Johnny Padres and we think, oh, well, he won the seventh game. He had a terrific career before and after. So I really wanted to bring that to bear. And the pop culture chapter in in the Our Bums book about the Dodgers, for me, was the most fun chapter to write and research. Do you, uh, is is editing other people's work 
easier or more difficult uh, than writing your own? I think it's harder to edit your own stuff, but it's terribly challenging to edit someone else's work and maintain their voice. So I learned from the Yankees book, certain things to do, certain things not to do. And I think I improved with the Mets book. I mean, I had people say to me at the risk of being immodest that the Mets experience was the smoothest one they've ever had with an editor. So as long as you can make constructive suggestions, I think that's important. And fact checking is important Mm -hmm. because if a comma is out of place, I want to know about it. And if you don't do that, if you don't take that responsibility seriously as an editor, then you're not only doing the reader a disservice, you're doing the contributors a disservice. They're sacrificing time and energy to research this. Mm -hmm. They're doing it out of passion. So if you don't act as a backup, that's really, really a horrific way to treat a peer and a colleague. And I do refer to them as peers and colleagues. Well, as I said, uh, I enjoyed the book. It's the New York Mets in Popular Culture, Critical Essays, edited by David Krell. And David, uh, good luck with this book, and thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Gary. And it's available at Amazon.com and Barnes & Nobles and all fine bookstores. Uh, uh, Any word on whether or not you'll be able to go out and... and, uh, do any signings or anything along that line? One slight correction. It's not available in the Barnes & Noble bookstore. It is okay. available, I believe, on the Online. Barnes website and Amazon and McFarland if they want to go directly to the publisher. I am not doing any in-person events. The Northern New Jersey chapter meets once a month on Zoom. A couple of weeks ago, we had a an event with a couple of contributors talking about their experiences in writing their essays. Marty Lesner, who's a friend of mine since my law school days, wrote the chapter on Mr. Met, and he Marty's a Phillies fan. So there's a lot of the Philly fanatic Mr. Met rivalry, and Marty talked about that at our last chapter meeting. But I don't think we have any chance of doing an in-person promotion or an in-person lecture or meeting, not until at least spring of 2021. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we talked this morning, I learned that Broadway is shut down until May 30th of 2021, Mm. and that could be extended because it's already been extended. Yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be the end of the year, I think, right? Right. So what are the chances that we'll have a Sabre conference in person in Baltimore in July or June of 2021? I think right now it's 50-50. Well, while we're home, people pick up the book. You can get it delivered from Amazon and enjoy the book. And, and hopefully we'll get life back to normal sometime next year. And right. uh, we'll be able to do things like go to book signings and go to ball games once again because it has been difficult not being able to go to a game and, and uh, just sure. to experience everything about going to a copy of the book in front of you no i don't i i i I just want to i just want to point out copy i just want to point out one thing in back of me is a copy of the book and people will notice there's a picture of tom Tom siever that was something i really 
urged McFarland to do. I said, we can have Dwight Gooden or we can have Tom Seaver. I think those are the two top contenders for the cover. And I implored them. I said, if you can find a good Seaver photo, because I can't. Anything I, I got or found, um, I, I just I just didn't like. It, it was not an essence photo, as I would consider it. Mm-hmm. And they found this photo of him just about to start his windup. So there's great anticipation. It's not an action shot, but I think it it really elevates your imagination and what's about to come. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that we we did that, especially because he passed right before the production of the book. Yeah, yeah. Sad times. Uh, David, thank you once again for coming on. And uh, the book, again, is New York Mets and Pop Culture, Popular Culture, Critical Essays. David Krell's the editor. And uh, go out and get it. Thanks, Gary. Take care. Take care, David. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. And uh, we're back. And if you'd like to be a part of the show and help out uh, a little bit, you can by going to anchor.fm slash Mets Musings or patreon.com slash Mets Musings and leave whatever you can. Any little bit helps. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. As I said, it's been very slow right now, waiting for the approval of Steve Cohen by the owners. That'll come probably in about a month or so. Uh, other than that, not much going on except the playoffs. So, uh, go check that out and go check out David Krell's book as well as other fine books that are out there that we've had on this year. And we'll have a couple more authors on over the off season. Cause there's a lot of books out there and uh, a couple of more coming out. So, uh, be sure to tune in here and subscribe. Uh, to find out when their guests are coming on. But I want to thank you all for listening, and don't forget to subscribe, as I said, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Google Play, YouTube, wherever you listen to or watch the podcast, hit the subscribe button. That helps us grow the show and expand to new listeners. And until next time, remember to keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Musings.